You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Thanks for letting me spend some time chatting with you today. Um, we're in the, I guess, finishing up a series on how to understand your child and like different aspects of who your child is as a cultural being, which I think Mary Beth talked about last week, and as a spiritual being, which Cameron talked about two weeks ago. Um, today, obviously, we'll talk about your child as a social being, and um, unfortunately for you guys, you're in sort of a reverse Jesus at the wedding at Cana situation, right? Like you got the good wine first and you're stuck with me for the tail end. Um, so, um, yeah, I think we're going to talk today about, uh, about how to understand your child as a social being. But before we do that, I wonder uh, if you'd pray with me and for me before we get started. Uh, God, may your words drop as the rain on new grass, like showers on tender plants. Help me proclaim your name and declare your greatness. The rock, your work is perfect. All your ways are just. A faithful God without bias, you are righteous and true. Help us today to understand our children, your creations, how you've created them to be, um, and how we can best facilitate their growth as a social being who desires community not only with other people, Lord, but with you as well. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody got a piece of paper that wanted one. Everybody got a pen or a pencil or something that needs one. All right. Um, I'll be honest, I always like feel a little awkward standing up here talking to you about your kids because... 24 years old, and I have, no, yeah, I, uh, when I was in college, I worked with elementary school kids, um, and like ran some reading programs at a boys and girls club, and then when I graduated, I spent a year at inner city high school, and then, ish, I, I don't know that I'd say that, um, um, I think, Probably most of youth ministry is a move from unconscious ignorance to conscious ignorance. Um, and I'm definitely, you know, finding that out as days go by. Um, even though I don't have any kids, I don't necessarily have a huge frame of reference for this talk. I did grow up in an environment very similar to the ones your children are growing up in, sort of an urban, suburban, fairly affluent um, environment. Um, I obviously have not felt those feelings of joy and those feelings sometimes of helplessness that I'm sure you're intimately acquainted with as parents. Um, but I, uh, I, I have, I think, tried my best to figure out how to navigate finding your social identity through the waters that not only are sort of torn up by complex like person-to-person interaction when you're between the ages of 6th and 12th grade, um, but also with the advent of social media and trying to figure out how to be a social person um, with Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, whatever else, right at your fingertips. Um, so I guess we'll talk about that a little bit today. Um, I think as we move forward, questions we probably should try to think about to sort of guide us 
are um, questions like, what does it mean that our children are social beings, um, and especially in this sort of cultural moment? And uh, maybe what does it mean for you as parents and for us as a church and for your families uh, that your child is a social being? Um, I think sort of paired with that developmentally and to a certain extent spiritually, um, your child is either consciously or subconsciously asking questions like, where do I belong? Where is it that I fit in? Especially at what is for most a very awkward time in your life. Um, So I think as we think about these two questions, we probably need to think about two sort of competing frameworks, probably two competing emphases that sort of impress themselves on your child and on you to a certain extent, but I think it's especially prevalent um, with kids. And I think the first of these emphases is embodied most by this quote from the French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, He says, There is no traced out path to lead man to his salvation. He must constantly invent his own path. But to invent it, he is free, responsible, without excuse, and every hope lies within him. This is part of the beauty of existentialism, as you can sort of quote them without having to explain them afterwards. But um, if you notice in Sartre's quote, the focus is all on the individual, right? The focus is on is on you, is on me, is on your kid, is on um, our students sort of creating their own destiny, right? When Sartre sells salvation, uh, he's an atheist. He, like salvation in the way that we mean salvation doesn't mean anything to him, but when he says salvation, what he's meaning is like your destiny, right? This is a very like I'm the master of my soul, I'm the captain of my fate kind of thing from Sartre here. And this is kind of the water that we swim in to an extent today, I think. Um, this sort of attitude, I think, leads to a, a centering of our entire universe of existence like on ourselves, right? We sort of center all our experiences on who we are and how it affects us. Um, what's so crazy to me is that like this sort of attitude is messaged to us like it's like it's a privilege, right? Like this is a benefit. You get to like totally create from the ground up everything that you are. And I think to a certain extent, that's nice. But if you really think about it, like that's terrifying, right? Like that's so much pressure to put on somebody, especially somebody in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, um, to say that you are responsible for every single thing you do. And this is not saying that you know you're not responsible for your actions, but to tell somebody that you essentially have to build your life from the ground up is, I mean, that's a lot to expect out of a, a preteen adolescent. Um, even with that in mind, even as we're sort of like told that by our culture at large every day, right? Like you probably can listen to the music that your kids listen to and see this sort of like individualistic emphasis. You can probably watch the ads, the commercials that come on on television and see a similar emphasis or the the way the mannequins sit in the windows at the mall is very like they're never in groups, right? They're always just kind of by themselves. And we see this like sort of isolated individual almost everywhere we look. Um, even with that in mind, 
the cell, like yourself, like you as a person, your kid as a person, they cannot live in isolation from everyone else, right? Like you can't, we as people cannot sort of truly build our lives and our destiny from the ground up. Like this is just not something that happens, right? Um, I mean, even in 21st century America, you have mentors, you have ethical guides who tell you like, hey, you should think about doing this instead of that or take X path instead of Y path. And outside of that, we just simply define ourselves by the way we relate to people, right? Like I, I am Jeff's son. This person might be Mary's sister and that person might be Jenny's father. We totally define ourselves by community um, after you leave this class today, you probably won't walk out those doors, grab a cup of coffee and just kind of like move over into the corner and spin it up a little bit and drink it by yourself, right? The ideal community interaction that you have when you leave this class, if you're going to stick around, is to go grab a cup of coffee, turn around really casually and see a group of four or five people that you know fairly well and that you've had some interaction with in the past and to see a perfect U-shaped gap in that circle that you can kind of slide into very seamlessly and that you can move into this conversation with with them about how their kids are doing or how work's going or how the softball team is very seamlessly. That's the dream for our interaction with other people, isn't it? Like we never desire, I mean, sometimes we desire alone time, but as a general rule in life, we're not looking for isolation. Um, I think we, that's something that we notice because that's, that's a created desire that God has, has placed within us, right? Like we desire to be in community and we see a little bit of tension because this desire to be in community and this Frank Sinatra, I did it my way-esque individualism, they butt heads, right? Like they, there's some friction there. They don't come together like that. Um, and we're going to sort of develop that a little more later. So we have on the one hand this sort of American individualism taken probably to an unhealthy place, which influences the way our kids live. It's probably not American. It's probably Western in general. But um, on the other hand, we have this desire for a deep and genuine community that's in tension with this desire for individualism and for autonomy and for um, you know a general account unaccountability for ourselves. Um, we see this sort of desire for community at the at the dawn of creation, right? Um, Genesis 2 and 3 is essentially full of the first, the building of the first community. Um, when we read Genesis 1, we might be struck by a number of things, how God's Word creates things out of nothing. We also might be struck by the fact that He creates light and He says, this is good. He creates land and He says, this is good. He cre everything He creates, He said, this is good. Man in our image, that's good. And then... Adam looks for a helpmate among the animals, can't find one. And God says, it is not good that man should be alone. Right, and so we see the first community with Adam and Eve because God's created us with this desire to sort of associate with others and to sort of move in communities. Um, 
but that horizontal community isn't the extent of the community that we're built to sort of experience, right? Um, Adam and Eve, yeah, I mean, they're chilling in the garden, and for a time they're eating fruit from every tree except for one, and, you know, they're guarding the land and developing it and doing what God's asked them to do. And yet at the same time, they have this unbroken sort of vertical communion with God, right? Not only are they in a relationship with each other, they're also in a perfect and unbroken relationship with their creator. Um, the ideal prototype of our community is is not just horizontal, right? It's, it's vertical. Um, but ultimately, this doesn't obtain, right? Like this doesn't last forever. What happens? Um, our ideal community of Genesis 2 and 3 is, is ruined by Genesis 3.15. Um, Adam's plunge into sin that takes us all with him um, ruins not only our horizontal community, but our vertical community as well. Humans who are created to be social beings, like your kids are, like we all are, have spurned the community that they've given, right? They have... Uh, They've inherited a sinful perversion of human nature from Adam, and this manifests itself in a perversion of community, right? Adam and Eve, they sacrifice this community they have with God. They sacrifice this perfect community they have with each other. And instead, in its place, they construct a golden calf, which is shaped like themselves, essentially, right? So this is probably where we see this first... Um, turn towards the self, toward the individual that Jean-Paul Sartre keyed in on so well. Um, of course, Adam and Eve's spurning of this original community doesn't obliterate a desire for community in general, right? We still are all here um, up through the Old Testament. Uh, we see a general desire for community. Um, but it has, the fall has disordered our desire for community, right? It sends us in some bizarre directions. And um, it instead of turning communities vertically toward God, it turns them sort of inward toward themselves, right? We see this, you know, Genesis 3.15, Adam and Eve fall, gospel is promised, and not three chapters later do we see a world that's completely plunged into sin and unrighteousness and... You know, this community has to be reordered again through the flood. And then in chapter 11, humans have sort of built their own community um, with sinful desires, right? And they, they construct the Tower of Babel. And then, you know, we see the same sort of cycle of events take place throughout the history of Israel and probably throughout our own lives, if we're honest. Um, and so... I think even still, even after the fall, even after our, even after the image of God in us has been marred, it still very much exists, right? This is why we, we know things are inherently bad. This is why we know, uh, like we can look well at the creation, do things like science, etc. Um, and this is also why we desire for a true, genuine, authentic, deep community with other people, and with the Lord. Um, all this is true of, of your kids, of our kids, of our students. Your This is true of your fallen, sinful, yet made in the image of God kid. 
um, just like we do at times, our kids seek to fulfill this desire for community in a way that tries to be in concert with their other desire to be the captain of their soul and the master of their fate, um, regardless of what their parents or their God says about them. Um, your kid wants to belong. They want to be included in groups. Um, they desire to identify with others, for better or for worse, in some situations. Um, and this, too, I think is why they spend so much time on their phones. This is why we spend so much time on our phones. Um, we're able to sort of communicate without a lot of the difficulty and the messiness that's inherent in person-to-person -person interaction, right? If you have friends and you've invested in them over the years, there are certain expectations that are placed on you. Friendship is, is almost an inherently self-giving endeavor, right? When you have a best friend who loses their mother or loses their wife or loses their kid, you give up part of yourself to them in a number of ways, right? You might take them dinner. You might sit with them. Um, you might help handle some logistics. You might do some things. And even in situations that aren't that stark, friendship carries with it certain obligations, right? I mean, you've all probably been on a phone call late at night dealing with you know some emotional hardships friends have, or you've had friends that have provided that same service to you because of our desire for this community. Um, but that living that life in social community, it, it's never easy, is it, right? It's, uh, it requires a great deal of patience, um, and it requires, again, giving some of yourself to others. We're very selfish with ourselves at times. Um, but if we get to communicate via our phones without all the messy sort of um, humanity that's involved, we can sometimes, I think, have both of these things we want, right? Or we think we can. We can have the sort of brash individualism with the like actualization of, of this community that we so desire. Um, and I think at the same time, we desire to be the captain of our fate and we desire the benefits of in-group membership. Um, and for our kids, this a lot of times manifests itself in something like, uh, you know, knowing where to sit at the lunch table or, um, you know, having a place to sit in class. Y'all, when I was in grade school, the most terrifying thing for me every semester was like, what if I have no friends at lunch, right? Or like... My biggest fear was the class where there were no assigned seats on the first day because it was like, oh, my goodness, like, what if I walk into this class and, like, none of my boys are in there, right? And I got to sit next to somebody I don't know or somebody who doesn't like me or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And these are all concerns that as a 24-year-old or as a parent, you're kind of like, that feels kind of trivial, right? But like, this is the water that our kids swim in. They, this is like a very big concern, a burden that's just bearing down on them all the time because the existential and developmental questions they're asking of themselves are, where do I fit in? How do I fit in? And like, if I don't have good answers to either of those questions, how do I get good answers to those questions? Um, I think social media sort of, again, gives us the best of both worlds because it allows us 
to put our best foot forward, right? Like we can sort of commune with our friends to a certain extent, but we can also, you know, like portray the person that we want to be seen, right? Sociologists talk a lot about the looking glass self, and it's sort of like, it's almost like a thought exercise we do naturally where I try to put myself in your shoes and sort of deduce what you're thinking about me right now, right? It's like a self-conscious looking glass. And um, like this is what we're always doing on social media, right? Like how you can probably count on one hand the number of times you have seen somebody put a picture of their, you know, white shirt with a nice tie with a coffee stain right here all the way down it, right? Like this doesn't happen because we're putting our best selves forward while we're trying to marry these two competing sort of emphases and we're trying to we're trying to force them together and there comes a point at which they just don't go anymore. Um, yeah, I think uh, the problem with that is um, is that in, in doing all this, our, our kids and even us to a certain extent, we assume um, unconsciously that Sartre and the serpent in back of him in the garden, that they're both right. Um, but in reality, this group identity that your child is looking for, this is already taken care of in two really huge ways. Um, in the midst of our kids having to wrestle with who they are and with where their group identity sits, um, the gospel speaks good news to you as parents and speaks good news to your kids as well. Um, because Jesus' life and death for our sins, excuse me, um, on the cross, it gives them an identity for which they don't have to work, right? They don't have to put forward this best self any longer, right? They are as worthy as they will ever be as soon as they're engrafted into Christ, right? There is nothing they can do that when they get to the, the pearly gates or whatever it looks like, where, you know, Jesus or Peter or whoever is chilling there is going to be like, oh man, shouldn't have posted that Instagram picture because, you, you know, your hair wasn't quaffed right. You know, um, this is never going to happen. This is an identity that your kid has for forever, right? Jesus is very clear about this. He says, no one will pluck you out of my hand. No one, nothing, right? That kid is in Jesus' hand forever. Um, and I think, so there's a freedom that comes with that, right? With knowing that your identity is seated in Christ. And just as surely as he climbed up on that cross, and just as surely as he walked out of that grave, and just as surely as he ascended up to the right hand of God, your kid's identity is taken care of. But on a broader level, Christ's work saves your child into a ready-made community that for you guys is Advent, right? And for, you know, X or Y person, it's the local church. The, the early church in the New Testament in the period following treated its members like one big family. And that's the situation we're in today, right? Like when your kid comes to church, you have a village right here that's ready to raise your child with you, right? Uh, and if... You know, there are people that you don't know super well here. Certainly there are folks you know from church, you know, who provide this sort of safe community for your children. Um, 
they, uh, you know, the local church provides um, a place to receive your kids with open arms, a place to to provide them um, with a safe spot to grow and to to make mistakes and to to continue to work out who they are as a social being in the context of the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Um, okay, so to sort of sum up, we have two like emphases, right? We have this sort of brash individualism and we have this God-given desire for community, right? Both find their roots in the garden, different aspects of the garden, of course. God creates Adam and Eve with a desire for community and then we sin and we have this desire for individualism. Social media is sort of where we try to marry the two, right? We want all the benefits of individualism right here. We want to be able to sort of tout ourselves up, decide who we want to be, and put that person forward on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. And then on this side, we want the benefits of like in-group membership and you know being able to relate to our friends and posting pictures with our friends and talking to our friends on Facebook and stuff like that. This is not all bad. Facebook is not terrible. I'm not telling you to delete your Facebook or whatever. I'm not telling you that your kids shouldn't have Facebook, but there are just ways that we can use and abuse it. Um, I think we need to talk about some practical stuff, probably. Um, because your child is a social being, they desire social interaction, right? They desire a safe identity in the groups in which they participate. And um, on a fundamental level, the group in which they participate most is your family. Um, and now, of course, I think this will look a, di- a little bit different for each one of you, given family schedules and kids' sports schedules and kids' band schedules and meeting schedules and all that. Um, but for some, you know, it means eating dinner together every night. For some, it means eating dinner together one night. Um, and uh, for others, it looks like some kind of family outing in sort of cultivating this family environment that's very safe um, and a place for them to continue to grow, a place for them um, to come and a place for them to find the interaction that's healthy that maybe they're getting a little bit less of on Facebook or even at school to a certain extent. This is not to you know this is not to say that you know your family unit should never be one of discipline. I don't have to tell you that like that's a lot of times how children grow most. Um, but anyhow, in addition to cultivating a sort of family identity, um, it also means sort of putting your kid in a position to develop their own social acumen at places like Advent or another youth group at which your kid feels comfortable. Um, this is a place where they'll hear the gospel every week. And um, in hearing that, they'll hear what Jesus himself, the creator of the universe, says about who they are. Um, and I think really what we're looking for here is a place to um, put your students in a position where they're fed socially through face-to-face interaction with other folks um, in a safe but not always unchallenging environment. Um And so I guess as we sort of conclude and draw stuff to a close, I might say um, that when your kid is is on, is wired into their Twitter account, they're looking for something, right? Um, They're trying to answer these questions. How do I belong? Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? They're looking for approval from their friends. They're looking for in-group membership with a socially prestigious squad. And uh, I think this is just the avenue through which they're trying to achieve that. Um, 
the only problem is these avenues and in-groups are sort of inherently tenuous, right? Because most middle and high schoolers are inherently tenuous, right? Like nothing is, is really sure. Kids are still growing, right? Personalities are still developing. Friendships and relationships are still being forged together. Um, that said, your kid does have an in-group status that is inherently untenuous, right? Their status and identity within the church and their status and identity in relation to Christ and within your family. Um, I think it's important to cultivate that, and whether that's with like phone-free Sundays or phone-free dinners or, um, or anything else, I think it's important to push your child to develop themselves socially in a healthy and genuine way with other humans rather than with other humans through the avenue of a telephone screen. This is a lot of words. It might not mean much to you, but that's all I've got to say. So if you have any questions, or if you want to chat, if you want to chat a little bit, um, you don't necessarily have to ask me. There's probably a parent in this room who can answer questions as well. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Either as a result of participating in social media or not participating in social media. And it's something my wife and I are really wrestling with and trying to engage the kids on how do we figure this out. Yeah. You see your friends getting together and you want part of it, you see that online and you feel left out. Or you never see it because you're not on social media and you feel left out. So can you help me at all this? Yeah, I um gosh, that's really that's tough. I want to validate that concern for sure because like it's unfortunate because that is such the way that kids like it's almost all encompassing right like you communicate with others through social media to a certain to a large extent I don't know that I have a good answer for you I think I could stand up here and try to tell you that you know you could do this or that thing but I don't know that that's super helpful. I think there will come a time where social media plays less of a role because I think to a certain extent teenagers sort of grow out of that dependence on social media. I think social media to a certain extent, I think there's some research that backs this up, is that it largely provides a, a masking effect for kids. Um it allows them to sort of assert themselves confidently without any of the repercussions, right? You see this a lot if you go to the comments section of any video ever or of any blog post. You know, you have people who, like, they're keyboard warriors and they sit behind their computer and that masks them, right? And it gives them an opportunity to sort of say what they want to say without any of the detriment that comes with that. I, um, I lead a Tuesday morning Bible study with one of our senior high students. He's a senior and... We were talking about this the other day because I was like, man, it's you know it's been a few years. Can you just sort of like give me a rundown? Like what's the social media landscape look like today? And he was like, man, you know, we get to a certain point in your development and social media stops being a fulfilling way to interact with people, right? Even though you sort of are shielded from some of these, like some of the messiness, some of the humanity and some of the difficulty that's a part of like very intentional face-to-face -face relationships, you're also unfortunately shielded from a lot of the reward 
that comes with face-to-face relationships. I think my best answer, short story long, is to like take heart and say that like a time is on the horizon, probably sooner than is thought that you know social media will stop being the inherent paradigm that kids that your kids as they venture into adulthood speak through. Um, those might or might not be helpful. Um, yes, sir. That's a great perspective, and over time that will come to pass. What about in the meantime, if we turn it around and, and, and pull positive out of it and become proactive on creating an event that brings inclusion with a lot of people? Yeah. Because I think just in that action that we're communicating nonverbally so much to all children about a way to take the focus off of the negative and get them focused on a positive action that not only brings them into the positive realm, but it also creates inclusion. It's one thing to talk about, let's be inclusive. Why don't we just make it so? Sure. I, I dig that a lot. I think it's something we try to do at at Advent in the youth group a fair amount. We're probably successful to varying degrees with that. Um, but we usually try to put an emphasis on phones being down. Is there... That's a that's a, a lot of the language you used was very wonderful and encouraging. I'm wondering if you have like an event in mind that you've like seen work somewhere else or if there's something in your mind when you say things like that that is... I'm, I'm, let me get my pen out. I'm going to take notes on whatever you say. Because that was a really good answer. I'll make it up as I go. Hey, that's what we're all I just, doing. I, I just, and I also make it easy. I don't want to come play. It's, it's really the mindset of becoming proactive. Sure. Focusing on the positive okay. and getting off of that negative. Yeah, and so I, you're... I'm talking, I'm really buying time to see if I can come up with Yeah, <laughs> oh, trust me. What do you think the last 40 minutes was? Yeah. Um, Which, you know, actually it becomes a selfish endeavor because then I'm like, oh, you know, what do I like? Uh, yeah, mellow mushroom pizza. Let's get yeah, it together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good word, I think. Um especially like voluntary associations like church youth groups or like, um, you know, key club or, you know, whatever it is that kids are doing in, in groups today is oftentimes provides a really helpful avenue for stuff like that, maybe as a paradigm. I think I saw this hand, and then we'll hit you up, man. And this is just an observation. I mean, yeah. I teach high school, and during lunch periods, I mean, this is kind of a, kind of a two-parter. I mean, on one hand, I see a lot of kids when they're sitting together at lunch, but they're actually just individually on their phones, and they're not communicating with each other, but they're just sitting with with each other. But then you also have the people who are using that social media to share what they're like, oh my gosh, look at this, and they're running to that person and that person, and they're sharing out loud what they're seeing, and then they're including that, you know, hop on the site or hop on. So, I mean, it's just... It's kind of both, yeah. but we've also, teachers are communicating with their kids on certain apps. Yeah. Are, I mean, it's really, uh, it's just such a fine line between how how they're using it. Yeah, and it's that's exactly right. And it's 
ability to take you away from truly being social. Yeah, I think that's a really good word. It's probably important to remember that social media as an entity is like amoral, right? It is not good, it is not bad in itself. It is the way we use it, right? It's like money. Money is amoral, but the way we use it um, sort of dictates whether it's on the right or left side of, of how things go. You had your hand up. Um, I like that you brought up about that, it, that we are trying to establish a community. For yeah. This, and um, my insight has been sort of this sort of cyclical logic. And sure. A lot of people put down the social media when they realize it's a distraction from their real life. Right. And that creates uh, a goal-oriented uh, scenario where I want to achieve my goals. I'm putting this down to achieve my goals. What does that create then? Stress. If I don't sure. achieve my goals, then I'm not achieving anything. Yeah. And what do you look for? Right. So you put down something that, that gives you a community in order to seek your goal out, which then detaches you from community, then you have your individualism. So I think a lot of people struggle with this and that I can put this down to achieve my goals, but then where's my, where's my connection? Sure. Yeah, I think that's a good word. I think it's important to think through like achieving community less as, as a goal. Yeah. I don't know, maybe it works to to think about community as an end in itself, right? Um, I don't know. But I think that's a good thing to be careful of because I think if the stress is so much like you have to get rid of your phone, because there, like, there are communities, right? Like I'm an Orioles fan. There are no Orioles fans around here. So I like get on the chat. All right, great, awesome. I, so I like got to get on the message boards to talk about like whether or not we're going to keep Manny Machado or if Michelangelo is going to make another terrible ownership decision. So... Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and so, like, using the Internet or using social media as a... I want to be super clear. Using that as a as sort of a supplement to community or to communal interactions is not... I don't know that there's always a problem with that. Yeah. I think that one of the worst things that's facing people in America, people use social media, is that people are making billions off of it. Right. And like, I'm going to do design trade. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, that's the organization. Like, you know what? They have one job for the whole year. Right. Or these people that you think they're incredible, but then you realize they're pushing this makeup product. And, and I think yeah. kids, I'm a five-year-old, but I'm seeing myself. I feel very pressured to be perfect. Yeah. My life is a disaster. I mean, you will never see this. I mean, I'll move my child, move her to a different room to make sure I have the perfect picture. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah. everybody does that, mm-hmm. especially where we live. Yeah. But I think I think something that I'm telling myself, future mommy self, that I need to tell my child is, that girl is paid to wear all those fabulous clothes. Absolutely. That company sent her that, so you uh-huh. have your mommy go buy that. Right. You have no idea how much time somebody sit, sat behind a computer working a through Photoshop for that body image. All these people your age are in charge of social media. Yeah. All these companies. You're right. And it's also, the worst thing is these children, if I had a high school or a college kid, there are people that work in HR departments that use your social media against you. Like we yeah. grew up, it was credit. It's not just credit. It's just as much social media. Yeah. Because they will friend somebody to friend to friend to friend. You will be found out about Yeah. No, I knew a kid coming out of college who had like a 90K a year starting job at P&G. And, Whoa, that's incredible. And they found a picture of him making some very irresponsible decisions on his Facebook and yanked the offer. I think, um, yeah, I think you're exactly I think right. You need to educate your child that's like, I mean, like, 
they get off social media before they actually rush their yeah. year. I mean, like, they need to do that the <laughs> if whole it's time. On the internet, it is oh, it's yeah, <laughs> that's so true. I think maybe some of our girls and boys realize that where we live, but I think you need to tell them, like, that picture of you funneling that beer is going to be her around the world. Yeah. Sure. In large part because of things I've learned in classes here. Um, what I mean, what is the church's recommendation to us as parents in terms of like what's the right balance? I mean, is it a relief? Are you hearing from the kids it's a relief when their parents say no, you can't participate in that? Is it is there a right age? Like I think. Yeah, no, no, no. I don't, and I want to make sure that I, like, I am not, like, speaking for Advent when I say this. This is just my own experience. Um, I know, like, I think it's probably a, a student by student basis. I know there's a student in our youth group who had, who doesn't even have a cell phone in eighth grade, which is like, this is unheard of. Yeah, I, like, had no idea that those existed anymore. And, um, they, like, totally don't care, right? It's like totally fine. They There's like, in it. yeah, they don't know. Like they just have no idea. Like they don't know what they're missing, I guess. But then there are some folks who like, there are some kids who are more, you know, tend toward that a little more, I guess. And I, I think I would just say that like monitored use of social media, especially after your kids have like demonstrated that they can be responsible with it, right? Like phones have parental controls now that you can allow like 15 or 20 minutes on social media per day, and then it'll lock the app down. Like, you can get applications that will do that. Um, that's what my parents did with my younger sister, who is a junior in high school. When she was a freshman and she got an iPhone or whatever, that's what they did. It seems to have worked pretty well. I wish I had a one-size-fits-all answer for you. Um, I hate to say it, the little people get out. Yeah, do your thing, please. Yeah, if you want to stay and talk, stay and talk. If you don't, you can bail out. That's cool. Thank you all so much for listening to me jabber. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.